Alright, what is going on everybody? This is your man L Jamal coming through with another edition of Never Out of Bounce. This is the place where you can say what you want as long as you got them facts. Uh, let's get right into it with the world on the street, of course. I was going to talk about uh, the new Mueller report. Uh, well, it hasn't been made public, uh, but the, final, uh, the, the investigation certainly has wrapped up and it seems as though Mueller has made his conclusions. Um, Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi and also Senate Minority Leader Chuck uh, Chuck Schumer is leading the brigade to get all this released, all the information released, uh, because apparently uh, the summary in which William Barr wrote uh, is apparently, well, at least it's, this is what is being accused by Democrats of being. Uh, there's parts that's left out of it. Of course, there's things that are not that have been, of course, changed or left out. Uh, the word here, uh, for one, is omitted. So, uh, according to Democrats, although the findings have come out, well, I'll get into the findings. Basically, what they're saying right now. Uh, well, at least the Attorney General is is claiming that uh, Trump is is innocent of all uh, charges, including the uh, the collusion and the obstruction. However, the report itself uh, may say something a little bit different. Uh, it's saying that Trump is free of the collusion. However, the obstruction is something entirely different. He's not completely exonerated from that. Uh, that, for me, confuses me because, well, for one, if there is no real collusion that he was a part of, then what could he be obstructing? So I'm a little bit confused here. Uh, however, you know, what is proven is that the 2016 uh, election was meddled with by Russia in attempts to uh, boost Trump's success. Now, what they're saying is they cannot they cannot prove. Uh, Mr. Mueller said he could not prove that Trump had anything to do with that, which is kind of I mean, I get it. You do your investigation, but. If I was a if, if there was a plan uh, involved that uh, involved, you know, well, involved me. Uh, well, I mean, it didn't involve me directly, which, you know, what I'm saying is the plan might not have, you know, I might not have to follow through with the plan or do anything to, uh, I guess, do anything a part of the plan or be a part of the plan or collude, I guess, in the case of Trump. But if I'm the benefit of it in the case of Trump. Wouldn't I still be known of that? Uh, so it's some, it's definitely some confusion here. Uh, I again, I'm confused by the fact that they said that there was no collusion on Trump's part, but there may still be some obstruction. Again, if there's no collusion, then there's no real obstruction. If there was some obstruction, then there has to be some collusion. Uh, how do you obstruct something uh, that you really had nothing to do with? How would you obstruct that? There's nothing you can be a part of. So, uh, so for them to say that there's still some obstruction there, uh, it's very. It says to me, it puts in, in my opinion, it, it puts in some doubt. Um, now, Trump, of course. Uh, now, impeachment at this time is pretty much off the table but because of course there is no real well they're, they're saying that there is no real collusion case so if there's no real collusion case and there's no real uh basis on impeachment but of course democrats really still want to uh well they this is why they want the uh findings to be made public so everybody can go over the files everybody can see exactly what robert Mueller said um because again i'm going to keep stretching it the collusion part 
could not be proven, but there is an element of obstruction here. Again, I'm going to reinforce, if there's no collusion, then why is there some obstruction? There should be no, there should be no, nothing that should tie him to any obstruction if he's not in any collusion. If there's, if there's some obstruction, I would have, I have to be as an, you know, objective thinker. If there is some obstruction on Trump's part, then there must be some collusion on his part. But that's just me. Maybe I'm taking it too far. Um, but again, like I said, the the evidence does show Russian interference with this with our election in 2016. Uh, again, I guess what we're trying to figure out here is did Trump know about it? What role did he play? We don't know that. Uh, you know, again, the. You know, there was a time in which they could have been buddy buddy, uh, but this the 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 but Trump pulling out of the nuclear uh, arms deal with Russia, uh, that kind of throws things in a loop too. So yeah, maybe they were in collusion at one time. Maybe they're not friends anymore with Trump pulling out of this uh, arms agreement. Uh, this happened a little earlier this year as well. So it's a it's a fine line. Um, again, I. I was I was a, a a collusion bandwagoner too, until Trump pulled out of the nuclear arms arms uh pretty much an armistice uh, with Russia. So uh, I, I I'm kind of confused. I really don't know where to stand on this one. This is this is really one of those murky stories. Uh, but the report must be made public by April second. So by April second, we'll at least you know we'll have an we as the public will have an idea of what's going on more so. Uh, but William Barr will also be asked to testify at one point as well but again it's very confusing uh, I, I cannot I cannot uh, say say that much more myself uh, again if there is no collusion then why would they say that they that he's not fully exonerated from obstruction and again um, what what is that relationship with Russia what was that relationship with Russia pre-election and how did it disintegrate if uh, there was some type of, you know, collusion or them knowing uh, of the Trump can't at least Trump camp at least knowing what's going on. They've had to at least know what was going on, especially if the wreck, if the, the election was going to be rigged in their favor. So a lot to be a lot of questions to be asked, a lot of mysteries to be answered. It might not all be solved, but, uh, you know, for what it's worth. Trump has dodged another bullet <laughs> for what it's worth. All right, y'all. So I'm going to take a, a quick break here. When I come back, we're going to get into some NCAA action. Of course, I was supposed to be back here Monday uh, morning to talk about this with you guys. But, of course, I've been a little bit under the weather, and I've been chilling, enjoying my, my weekend. So I will be getting back uh, with you guys uh, on this NCAA tournament, back on the good foot with you guys, back up to speed, going over the uh, second round of the tournament Uh the third round, I'm sorry, the second part of the second round does start tomorrow night. I actually won't even say that's the, actually, that would even be the third round, excuse me, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, the Sweet 16 starts tomorrow uh, night, Thursday night. So again, I'll be going over the second round with you guys real quick. And then also, uh, I'll be wrapping everything up on some, with some NFL news. We have a retirement to talk about, y'all. Um, so we'll get to it, and uh, I'll be right back. All right, y'all. I am back. Of course, I'm going to be talking some college hoops. Uh, of course, we are in the thick of March Madness. We have went through the first, second rounds. Of course, I'll be going over the, the second uh, round today. Uh, the Sweet 16, a.k.a. the third round, starts tomorrow. Uh, we will be going over that, of course. We're going over the whole tournament. Uh, but let's get right into it with round two. Uh, round two started off with the number three seed LSU Tigers getting it done against the six seeded Maryland Terrapins. 
and 69 to 67. Let's go over the stats here. For Maryland, they were led by their forward, uh, sorry, Jalen Smith. He had 15 points and 8 rebounds. Their forward, Anthony Cowan, also had 14 points, 11, uh, sorry, 11, uh, 11 assists and also 6 rebounds. Uh, also, you got Bruno Fernando. He had 10 points and 15 rebounds, so a solid double-double there. Um, for LSU, they were led by their, their guard, Skyler May, 16 points for him. He also had five rebounds. Naz Reed also had uh, thir uh, sorry, 13 points, four rebounds, and two assists for the forward position. And their other guard, Tremont Waters, had 12 points, five assists, and two rebounds. Um, now, both of the teams shot below 50%, so it was, it was sort of a back-and-forth game, but it really wasn't a lot of great shooting. Uh, Maryland did out-rebound out, out LSU this year, the 40 to 34 uh so you can see that with uh bruno fernando's numbers really good double double uh, uh jalen smith almost got a double double as well uh but again so i mean uh for maryland they create a lot of second shot opportunities but again you know lsu just happened to hold the ball for the last possession um and Maryland, one thing for them, uh, one takeaway for them on the negative aspect is that they did go 62 of 23 uh, from the free throw line, which is good enough for 69%. Uh, that's not really great, and it actually came back to Hunt, and that would have been extra points for them. Uh, so that's at least... Um, well, they missed out of two, they missed a few shots there. That's that's at least uh, 16 out of 23. We're looking at a good... Um, uh, do your do your math here. Uh, that's a good seven points that they could have had of uh, right there just from the free throw line. So uh, they missed out on an opportunity there. Uh, but it was a good it was a good ride for them uh, through the course of the season. Of course, uh, they made it to the second round of the, of the of the tournament and they did pretty well in their conference. So uh, they got something to build on next season. But LSU was able to pull that one off. Uh, moving on, we have another battle of six and three seeds here. Uh, Villanova, last year's champion, goes down, and I would say uh, somewhat the upset of course Purdue was a higher seed here but the final score here is 87 to 61 I think that's really the biggest key to take away here uh, for Villanova they were uh, helped out by their forward uh, Eric Pascal he had 19 points three rebounds and two assists Phil Booth uh, one of their top players throughout the year also an NBA um well, somebody, well, yeah, somebody getting a lot of uh, attention from the NBA, getting some love from NBA scouts. He did not have a bad game either. 15 points, four rebounds, and also two assists uh, for Duke, for Purdue. They were led by their guard, Carson Edwards. Uh, he really unleashed uh, during this game. He had 42 points leading all scores. He also had six rebounds, and he went 9-16 from the three-pointer. He was pretty much the main factor of why they won. He was everywhere. Uh, like I said, he converted from three. He converted uh, from the paint. Uh, the next leading scorer for Purdue was Matt Harms with 18 points, uh, nine rebounds, and also two assists from the center position. Uh, but again, Carson Edwards had one of the better, best games, in my opinion, that I've seen in the tournament in a long time. I don't think I've seen it. Personally, in my lifetime, have I seen somebody, at least from an offensive standpoint, look so well. Um, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll even give it recent uh, history because I've been watching college basketball at least since the Carmelo Anthony day. So I won't I won't automatically just say that right away, uh, but that's one of the best performances that I've seen so far. Uh, for Purdue, this is their third street uh, sweet, sweet 16 appearance, a.k.a a third round appearance uh Purdue shot 54 percent from the from the range uh from field goal uh from the field goal percentage and uh 
34%, uh, I'm sorry, Villanova only shot 34%, so Villanova missed a lot of shots, as you can tell, uh, that's why their final score, they only got 61 points, they struggled to score, especially in the second half, Purdue was all over the place in terms of defense, and then they had their man Carson Edwards just scoring at will, uh, pretty much, so it was an ugly loss for, 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 for Purdue, excuse me, I was not expecting that, uh, but Purdue, they moved on to play Tennessee uh, in the Sweet 16, oh, as far as that first, uh, the first one goes LSU, they will be playing Michigan State in the Swiss, uh, Sweet 16. Uh, moving on, we also got uh, Auburn uh, scoring another upset from the five seed. This time, this one came against Kansas. 89-75 uh, is going to be the final score there. For Auburn, as usual, they were led by their guard, Bryce Brown. He had 25 points, three uh, three rebounds, and also two assists. He also went five assists from three-point line. The other guard, Jared Harper, also had 18 points six, and six assists. For Kansas, as usual, they were led by their forward, Dedrick Lawson. He had 25 points and 10 rebounds. Their guard, Quentin Grimes, also had 15 points, 2 assists, and also 2 rebounds. Uh, this is the first Swiss team appearance for Auburn since 2003. I don't believe that they... They were able, they won that uh, game last last time around. Uh, the Tigers did go fifty five percent from the field, and while uh, Kansas only went for fifty three percent, but it was neck and neck. Uh, actually, I'm sorry, um, Kansas did not go fifty three percent from the field. Uh, the Auburn not only did they go fifty five percent from the field, they also went fifty three percent from three. So they were shooting very well. Kansas had no answers. Uh, actually, it was really surprising because. Usually Kansas plays very well at this time of the year defensively, but uh, apparently not. They give up 89 points, and they are out of the tournament. Kansas was down 50, 51 to 25 at halftime. So as you can see, Auburn was just shooting the lights out from uh, basically the, thought, the set of the game. Um, now, uh, Kansas gave up, uh, I think, 10 times. Yeah, they gave up uh, 10 uh, mm. Yeah, well, just know that Kansas had a bad game here. Yeah, pretty much from beginning to end. Uh, I looked over the highlights last night, and, and just Kansas, you know, they seem to not be able to put the, the ball in the basket. Simply as that. And defensively, there was a lack of coverage on threes. There was a lack of coverage just everywhere. And uh, Kansas was made to look really really bad and they're usually a top performer team uh, i really can't explain it for for them i mean of course i'm not a i'm not a player for those guys but uh yeah, really bad for them. Really bad for them. Moving on, uh, some other uh, round two action. We got Wofford getting, getting it done. Actually, don't, sorry, they didn't get it done. Uh, their Cinderella run ends in the second round against Kentucky, 56-62. to uh, Florida State was able to get it done against Murray State, 90-62. Uh, Baylor, one of the first seeds, uh, were able to get it done against Baylor, 83-71. to We also got Michigan State getting it done against Minnesota, 70-50. Uh, to And also, so uh, we also got Iowa getting it done against Tennessee, 83. I'm sorry, not Iowa, but Tennessee getting it done against Iowa, 83 to 77 is the final score there. We're going to break this one down real quick. For Iowa, they were led by their two guards, Jordan Bohannon. He had 18 points and six rebounds. And uh, guard Isaiah Moses also had 16 points and five rebounds. For Tennessee, they were led by their four, Grant Williams. Another great game from him, 19 points, seven, seven rebounds and five assists. Guard Amherst Schofield also had 19 points. He also had five rebounds. And guard Lamonte Turner had 
15 points, 3 assists, and 6 rebounds. For Tennessee, they led uh, they led 49-28 uh, at halftime. So, again, another easy offensive game for them, well, at least in the first half. Uh, but in the second half, it got really close. I will say had a chance to come back. They only scored, uh, for Tennessee, they only scored 22 points in that second half. So, that game got really close. I'm not too sure, you know, what the uh, real explanation for that is, but it just it just seemed that they had a tough time shooting in that second half. That shooting percentage went way down. Uh, Tennessee did force 17 turnovers, though, so what happened what, what offset that was that they had multiple opportunities to shoot. They might not have always converted, but they were able to take the ball a lot giving them a lot more uh a lot more chance to score. Uh Tennessee also had a 7 7-0 run in overtime which basically put them over the top pretty much helped them seize that game. Cuz like I said that game was really close. Iowa could have came back at many points uh but they just weren't able to get it done. A little bit sad, a little bit of a sad ending for Iowa cuz they gave Tennessee all they got. Uh moving on, we also got UFC. Uh they went down to Duke uh, 70 uh, 77 to 76 is the final score here. Uh, Duke pulls off an improbable win. Uh, they needed the last shot to do so, but again, they got it done. For UCF, they were led by their guard, Aubrey Dawkins. He had 32 points, three rebounds, and four assists. Center tackle fall had 15 points and six rebounds. Uh, a lot of hype was made about his uh, matchup with Zion Williamson, and I think it was worth some of the some of the hype. Uh, they both uh, were able to, you know, put their best work on each other. Uh, but it looks like as a team, Duke was just able to just get it done a little. But they had a little bit extra uh, for Duke. Of course, they were led by Zion Williamson. He had 32 points. Wow, monster! 11 rebounds and four assists. Remember, he's a freshman, guys. A freshman. Uh, R.J. Barrett, their other forward, had 16 points, eight rebounds, and four assists. He also hit the game-winning shot as well. And Cam Reddish also had a good game. Uh, as an auxiliary player, 13 points, 4 rebounds, and 2 assists for him. So he definitely did his thing to help out uh, along the 3-point line as well. That's where he did a lot of his damage. Uh, for UFC, they outscored Duke Ford to 33 in the second half. Of course, a lot of that was done by Tackle Fall. Tackle Fall played a lot of great defense as well. He had at least 3 blocks. Uh, 13 uh Duke got 13 offense offensive rebounds a lot of that was uh a lot of those were eaten up by Zion or either RJ Barrett uh of course that looks good for them because again that's extra possessions that's extra and then if you're if you're putting them right back up if it's a put back shot especially you know meaning you get the rebound you just put the shot right back up those are easy points right there Duke converted on a lot of those uh that's what kept them uh in the lead for the most part UCF was you know able to grab the lead I believe at one point in time in the second have but for the most part because of the work that they did on the glass duke maintained maintained a lead i wouldn't say it was you know a, a stretched out lead or a great lead but they were able to at least maintain uh somewhat of a lead throughout the game duke also forced eight steals able to take the ball that's a good i mean of course that's all good because you're getting possessions that's just like a, just like an offensive rebound or a rebound in general uh that's a possession for that team so uh duke forced extra extra possessions uh that's what kept that's what i mean in a game like this when you win by one point it's the extra possessions that count y'all so the closer you see these scores 77 uh to 76 or 80 to 83 anything like that look at especially when you go back and look at the game uh if you ever go back and look at the highlights of the game look at who's making the steals look at who's making the rebounds look at those stats right there those are extra possessions um I mean, it's simple. 
it's just simple. You know, the more possessions you get, the more opportunities you get to score, the more opportunities you have to win the game. That's just the way it is. It's just simple math, <laughs> I guess. Uh, moving on, we also got Buffalo getting it. Actually, Buffalo, I'm sorry, losing to Texas Tech uh, from the sixth seed. 58 to 78 is the final score there. And we will, we will be going over this one as well. Uh, for Buffalo, they were led by their guard, C.J. Massenburg. He had 14 points, four rebounds, and two assists. Uh, their other four, their, their other four, Mike. Perkins also had 16 points and 10 rebounds for Texas Tech. They were led by their their main scorer, uh, Jared Culver. He had 29 points. He also broke a school record uh, in terms of threes. Now uh, Texas Tech had it. This is really strange because they really don't score this many points. They only scored about 80 points. Uh, but again, it's the tournament, so things happen. Uh, but the Red the Red Raiders outscored Buffalo 45 to 33 in the second half. Again, they came alive in the second half. They don't score a whole lot. Uh, usually, they average around 70, 71 points, which is middle of the road. But it's good for them because they do have a top defense. That defense only allowed a little bit, actually over 80 points. I'm sorry, not 80 points, but about I would say just about 60 points. So they actually kept Texas Tech. I'm sorry. They actually Texas Tech actually kept Buffalo uh, right below. Uh, their average in terms of what they allow on defense, that being Texas Tech. Texas Tech, like I said, gives us about 60 points. They kept Buffalo to 58. It's actually pretty good for them. Uh, they will play Michigan in the next round, that being Texas Tech. And uh, over the last uh, six games, Texas Tech has only given up 63.5 points. So, again, that defense is is there for them. Another good defensive team right now in the tournament is the, is the Oregon Ducks right now, keeping teams at about 60, uh, 65 five points or lower that's really good uh, again both of those teams though kind of you know are a little bit lacking in offense but again that defense there for both of these squads i would say look out for both of them uh that being texas tech and oregon defense wins championships defense is what got them into the tournament uh look out for both of those guys now i think now i think duke obviously is still the overwhelming favorite i think they're good on both sides of the ball uh but there's a couple teams out here uh like i said especially oregon uh that that you know that that have their I would say what they're really good at, what that the aspect of the game that they're really good at. Oregon's really good at defense, just like Texas Tech. You still got Tennessee, who's a really good offensive team. Um, they're still around. You also got Virginia. They're also a good defensive team that's still around. They'll be playing Oregon in the Sweet 16. Uh, you also got Houston, who was able to get a win against Ohio State, 74 to 59. Another good defensive team. Uh, you got Virginia Tech in the mix. They were able to get a win against Liberty, 67 to 58, uh, to keep them alive in the tournament. Again, Virginia Tech, I say, is one of those middle of the road teams. Uh, speaking of Oregon, uh, in the second round, they were able to get it done against UC Irvine, 73 to 54. So again. Again, you see that that dominant defense 55 points or 54 points is really giving up only 54 points especially in a tournament game like this is really good really good uh finally from the first round we got oklahoma uh taking another l uh they were the ninth seed here they lost to virginia uh, 51 to 63 again i talked about oklahoma having a really dominant defense um Again, it will be a good chance to see, you know, especially because, it, like I said, they'll be playing Oregon in the third round in the Sweet 16. That'll be one of my more interesting matchups because, again, I think these are two of the better defenses in in 
in the tournament right now, again, Texas Tech has a really good defense. Houston has a really good defense as well. Uh, but I think uh, over the course of the season, Virginia just numbers have had the best defense in terms of points allowed. And over the past few weeks, Oregon has come become one of the top defenses just in terms of how they play. They get blocks, they get turnovers, and they do keep you uh, low scoring. That's the difference that I feel between Oregon's defense and Virginia's defense. Virginia's defense is a bend, don't break. They just don't give up a whole lot of points. Oregon's defense does force turnovers and they force blocks. Uh, they get extra possessions. So that is going to be interesting to see. That is that's going to be a, a matchup that I'm going to highlight right now. Um, just 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 for me uh personally and just because i like defensive i like defensive defense that's just me sorry i can't help it uh but uh one more thing to uh talk about real quick we're gonna move away from the ncaa tournament again it will be coming on tomorrow night round three aka the sweet sweet 16 so y'all look out for that of course i will be going over that as well uh but one last story this one is coming from the nfl we're gonna let you guys go after this uh but rob gronkowski uh decided to put in his put in his put in his walking papers excuse me uh he's gonna be retired from the NFL after nine seasons in New England. Uh, his 79 touchdowns has led the NFL since he's been in the, been in the league. Uh, I think the next closest receiver, regardless of, of position, is Antonio Brown. I think he has about 60 or so. Uh, but uh, Rob Gronkowski Rob does have 10 or more 10 TDs in five years, which is the most by any tight end. Uh, in terms of his regular season production, he's had 115 regular season games. He's had 100, uh, sorry, not 100, but 521 catches, uh, 7,861 yards. So these are all pretty much tops uh, in terms of the tight end position. Uh, in terms of the playoffs, he's had 18 catches there uh, for 1,163 yards and 12 touchdowns. And these are all tight end records as well and he's the second most touchdowns he has the second most touchdowns in postseason history behind uh jerry rice now that margin is wide uh but uh but again he is he does have the second most touchdowns in postseason history so he he's he's an accredited oh he has a lot of he's an accredited tight end uh he's definitely one of those all-stars that you've seen for a while uh he has four 100 yard re uh, receiving games which is tied with vernon davis and i believe another guy from the 80s i believe his name is keith jackson another another tight end that is uh he will turn 30 in may and uh, he's been through a lot. Um, anybody who knows, who's followed him just a little bit, uh, knows that he's had issues with his back. Uh, I, I've, I've watched a lot of him during his college days, uh, being that he uh, graduated Arizona or he played at Arizona. Uh, he's a Pac-12 guy. I watched a lot of Pac-12 football. Uh, I knew a lot about his injury problems to begin with. I think he did miss his, uh, he did miss his uh, senior year or parts of it because of those injuries uh but what i saw on the field uh even from his college days was a, a, a humongous uh massive athlete but was agile and again he was athletic uh there was one game that i remember uh late in the season he played against my oregon ducks and that game I, I almost want to say that game went to a double overtime but he was definitely a factor in that i remember him catching a just his big body uh catching a touchdown that sealed the deal not for them but at least pushed us to overtime uh it was a really great game and he was a part of that and uh even though i wasn't a fan uh i admired his i just admired the energy that he was bringing to his team even from that position that game was really close that game just it was one of those games that um make you like the sport of college football you know it went back and forth uh that was back when we had jeremiah masoli uh my duck friends do remember him uh and uh, it was back and 
and forth game. And I believe I want to say it went to two overtimes or it had to go to overtime. It was close to going to overtime, but it was like a it was one of those games where it came down to the last play. Uh, we were on the road and uh, it was looking like the. I mean, at twice the fans wanted to rush the field because they they were this close to knocking us off. Uh, at the time, we were we were ranked and everything had a winning record, and we could have even won the pack. The Pac-12, pretty much for our for our sake, uh, was on the line then. And I just remember him just making so many plays uh, from his position. A big guy just looking just just looking like nobody on my team could really match up against him. They couldn't knock him down or anything. And I remember him just one of those touchdowns he scored right there in the middle of the end zone. I'm like, this guy right here. And I almost thought because I I wanted to say the game was lost right there. And I said, this guy took the game for me. But the way he just, I saw him and the way he made that touchdown and the smile that you could see through through, the, through his face mask and just the, the light that he brought to the team. Like I said, the the, 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 the student section at Arizona themselves, they was looking like, man, this we might have we won this game they're starting to come down from the from the uh from the stands they're about to rush the field and again he was a part of that uh really lively energetic uh that never left him in the nfl uh bill belichick also talked about that as well um and uh, he was just a really great tight end, a really great athlete, uh, definitely somebody uh, who liked what he did. But he took a lot of hits. Uh, like I said, he was even injured in high, uh, even injured in college. Uh, he injured his back. That was one of his main uh, injuries. And uh, he had some interesting quotes that I read from him. And I can paraphrase for one. Uh, he's basically saying his body was taking a beating. And as much as he liked playing, as much as he did like to win, um, there was no ill will from the for you know. And as much as you know, everybody says New England is drib and drab, and um, Bill Pelich Bill Belichick is a hard ass. He never really had anything you know too negative to say about that. He liked what he was doing there. He liked his job there. Uh, he seemed to have a really good relationship and a good rapport uh, with Bill Belichick, despite being him being somewhat of a party guy. Uh, but he got the job done and, uh, you know, but for him, it really started to take away at his body, all the injuries that were nagging and you could, and you could just tell, you know, he, he was losing a step at least for the past couple of years. Um, I can only imagine, I can only imagine all the, the hits that he has to take, uh, because everybody's coming at him with full force. He's so big. Everybody wants to bring him down. So I get it. I understand. I'm not mad at him. Uh, he's one of the, the smarter guys in the league. Uh, he he made a whole bunch of money from his, from his um, if, I'm sorry, from his endorsements and did not have to touch his NFL money for the longest. Uh, as far as I know, that's something that I learned, that he made so much money from his endorsements that he did not even need to touch his contract money, which I thought it was smart. Uh, he put his body out there. I mean, when he, I mean, he, of course, you know, there's the there's the fact that he had to, you know, go out there and hurt and get hurt and all that. But, um, you know, he 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 put himself in position to be successful in all realms. So he at this point in time, he does not have to risk his body. And I think that's good for him. He gets a chance to live out the rest of his life with some paper in his in his pocket. So I think that's always good. Uh, so for now, y'all, I'm going to call it a wrap for today. Um my next episode, I will be going over some uh, NBA talk. Of course, I'll be going over the playoffs. Uh, we'll be going over round three, a.k.a. the Sweet 16 of the NCAA tournament. Uh, of course, my immigration series, I have been working on that. It will be separate. It will not be on a, it will not be on a particular episode. It'll be its own standalone thing. Uh, I, I'll have... Uh, at least my notes together. I want to have those together by tonight. So my first installment of the series will, well, I try to put, I'll try to put it out 
tomorrow uh just so you guys can you know you know see what i'm talking about of course uh this is going to be a history of my this new series will be a history of california uh of california in general but more specifically uh, the history of immigration and my whole point here uh, my whole thesis is you know well pretty much i'm trying to figure out why is there so much animosity towards uh immigration or or where do we get to this point how do we get to this point so that's what i'll be attempting to answer through this series uh you know what is the history at least here in this state uh of of immigration of course because you know there's so much there's so much news there's so much uh news that's being dominated referring to immigration and uh, sanctuary cities where did this come about why is there tension where did this all come about we're gonna go back all the way to the beginning at least in this state where i come from so you know, look out for that. I will be having that sh uh, soon, as well as my next episode. Again, like I said, I'll be going over the next round of the playoffs uh, for the for the NCAA. Uh, like I said, the Sweet 16 there. Also, be going over some NBA playoffs as well. And of course, at the War in the Street, we never stop doing that. So whatever news we got, I'll be telling it to y'all. Be sharing it with y'all. So I'm gonna be taking a break for right now. Uh, if anybody hasn't told you yet, I love you. Peace out. Y'all have a good day. And one love.